All right, you guys can be seated. And we've been working through a series on distinct perspectives that we hold as a church, and some of these distinctions set us apart from the world. For example, our view of the Bible is that it is God's inerrant, infallible word, meaning that it's not just authoritative to us or over us, but it's relevant to us and sufficient for us. I mean, it, it shapes and molds and directs our lives. And uh, so that kind of separates us from the world because the world obviously doesn't adhere to or follow or accept the Bible as God's written word and as inerrant and infallible. However, some of these distinctions also separate us, or not separate us, that's probably the too strong word, they make us distinct from other churches. For example, last week we talked about elder led an elder-led church and elder-led government, and I tried to demonstrate to you what that looks like. Most of us have grown up in and around um, congregational models, and I, we just hold that we believe that the Bible demonstrates a different way of leading the church, and so that's how we formed the church government. Now, it makes us distinct, but it shouldn't divide us. It shouldn't keep us from being and partnering with other churches, and really that's kind of where we're going to go today because as we talk about these distinctions and as we talk about these these ways that we're distinct from other churches, we don't want to to build some sort of division that shouldn't be there. And so today, as, as we, we're going to build one more perspective, one last perspective on church organization as we look at the church networked. And as we do that, we need to establish just a couple of concepts so that they're in everyone's head. And that is, those concepts are, the church is invisible, yet visible. Invisible, yet visible, and the church is universal, and local. And the, the, the definition we've been using for the church is that the church is the community of believers that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, whose role is to make God known in the world through worship, ministry, and mission, organized under the headship of Jesus Christ and those he has called to lead and equip his people. Now, ultimately, what it is, is in a summary view, it's the people of Christ doing the work of Christ following obediently behind Christ. So that's the idea. That's the perspective of what the church is. That's how we define it. Now, that definition, though, does not limit these perspectives that the church is invisible and visible, universal and local. In fact, these two ideas are more about the nature of the church, how the church moves, how it acts, how it, how it works, and how it, how it is in the world. And so that's what these perspectives are. And so just to just to lay those out there and help you have an understanding before I kind of talk about what it looks like to be a church that networks, um, let me explain these two ideas. The invisibility of the church. Wayne Grudem says that the invisibility of the church refers to the church as God sees it. Second Peter one, or I'm sorry, Second Peter two nineteen says that the Lord knows those who are His. Here's the thing: God knows your heart. You can say you believe all day long. You can say you have faith all day long. And there's many people that say it and don't mean it. And it's just not true. You and I can't know them. You and I looking at one another can't know. There's no way for us to know. But God knows. There's no, he's, going, he's not going to make a mistake on this. He's, he's not going to look at somebody and think, you know, I don't know if they mean it or not. I don't, I, they just said they believe in my son. I'm having a tough time figuring this one out. Yeah, God's not going to do that. He can see all the way into the depths of us. In fact, he knows the, the truth about the lies we tell ourselves. You see, he knows our hearts. 
So there is a sense in the church that God sees it and He knows who are His. He knows His people. He is not going to mistake His people. He's not going to overlook one of His children and accidentally pick up someone that's not His. He's not going to do it. And because He sees the heart. But then the, the visibility of the church, where the invisibility of the church refers to the church as God sees it, the visibility of the church refers to the church as Christians see it. We look on the outside. I mean, maybe you remember from growing up, if you were in Sunday school growing up, you heard the story about King David. And, and as Solomon went to, to find a king, all these, all these boys were brought before him. And, and as these boys were brought before him, he's like, oh, man, maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the one. And it turns out to be this little runt of a kid named David that was out tending sheep. He didn't look like a king on the outside. But he was the king. He was the one. God saw his heart. He knew his child. And he knew that that was the one. But from the outside looking in, in fact, before David was ever even anointed king, and I think I said Solomon. I meant Samuel. Sorry. Apologize for that. You guys are wondering if I really read my Bible. I was, I, I was waiting. To, somebody should have corrected me. <clears throat> um, that threw me off. Sorry about that. But before Samuel anointed him king, the Israelites had to have a king. They just had to have a king. And so you know who they picked? A guy named Saul. And Saul was a tall dude. He was majestic and he looked like a king. But he didn't lead them the way that God would have had them led. He wasn't the king that he had chosen. He wasn't the king that he had for his people. You see, the reality is, is that there, there are two perspectives just like that in the church. is that God sees the hearts of people and he knows who are his. And there's a perspective that we hold. And when you say and you come to me and you say, I'm a believer and follower in Jesus Christ, I can look at the actions of your life, but I must accept what you've said because I can't see your heart. And so there's a visible church. And every person that sits in this room today is a member of the visible church. If you are a professing, following believer of Jesus Christ, you are a member of the visible church. But I have no way to guarantee that every person that's in this room today that might profess Jesus is a part of the invisible church because only God can see the heart. So I, you need to understand that. You need to see that the church is much bigger than what we perceive. And you can see the, the visibility of the church. Let me give you a couple of passages just so that you understand that I'm not just making this up. This is, this is a perspective that the Bible presents. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And then 1 Corinthians 1.2, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so in, in the first one, in 1 Thessalonians, he's saying to the church at Thessalonica, basically, he said, hey, you people that gather as a group of believers, and then he unfolds his letter and all the instruction that comes with it. And in the, then to the letter to the Corinthians, he says, all you believers, those who gather and, and profess Jesus Christ, but then he gets a little more specific, and he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He says, those who gather specifically to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so there's a perspective that Paul understands that not every person that comes to the church is a member of the church. In fact, when he wrote or when he was speaking to uh, the church in Ephesus, it was recorded by Luke in Acts. He says, hey, from among you, many wolves are going to rise. 
Now, if we're all believers and we're all truly followers of Jesus Christ, there shouldn't be any wolves. But the potential is there. In fact, it's a warning that's given over and over in Scripture. That from among our very own, from the very people we claim to be brothers and sisters with, will rise wolves. And I'm just going to say, that's not given in a positive light. I don't know if you got that or not, but it's not something that he means to be a good thing. You see, he's, he's calling us a flock. He's calling us sheep. And only in cartoons do sheep and wolves get along. And in the kingdom to come. But not here. See, it's not, it, he knows, he knows that not everyone in the church that's gathered is members of the church. And so he becomes more specific in 1 Corinthians as he titles his letter, as he opens his letter. John, another apostle of Jesus Christ, knows, knows that, that not everybody that gathers under the name of Christ belongs to Christ. And he warns in his first epistle to the church, he warns people. Hey, there's false prophets around you. There's antichrists. Not big A antichrist for those of you that are dispensational in your view. Little A antichrist, people who are standing against Christ from your very own. And they're going out from us. And the way we know they were never part of us is that they've left us. He knows that not everybody that gathers under the name of Christ. So see this and get it. Understand it. It's going to be, it becomes important as we strive to network as a church. The church is invisible. Christ, God, sees it and knows His people, and He is not confused. But from our perspective, the visible church also exists, and we have to live and, and breathe and work in that world. So the church is invisible, yet visible. And the church is also universal. And in, in, in the Apostles' Creed, let's just start here. In the Apostles' Creed, there's a statement that says, I believe, you know, if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it's a statement of, I believe statements. I believe, I believe, I believe. And maybe you even heard a song by Third Day. I love it. But that's another day. Uh, we'll go there some other time. It, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit and one Catholic church. Now, for some people, as soon as they hear the word Catholic, they're like, oh, wait a minute. I made a mistake. I should have been a part of a Catholic church. Because that's what they believed all the way back there. I'll just say, they didn't name the Catholic Church the Catholic Church then. It came later. And then they took that term because what that term means is universal or general. You see, the idea is, is that from the very beginning of our faith, from the foundations of our faith, they believed in one church. And you can see that all the way through the pages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1-2, again, I'll give you the whole verse this time. I'll only give you a section. It says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. What that means is he's addressing this letter to the Christians who are Christians and part of the church with every Christian who's part of the church. So that, that demonstrates that, hey, you know, he's writing to some group of people that live and breathe in one place, but he's including them with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. He points out in his letter to the Ephesians, there's one body. This is Ephesians 4, 4 through 5. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one church. One. It, it, may, it may be a Baptist church. It may be an Assembly of God church. It may be a non-denominational church. But if it's a member, if it's a part of the invisible church, there's one church. We all belong to the same group of people. That's why when you stumble onto a bridge in China and you hear them singing hymn songs, does this happen to anybody? It did to me. I stumbled onto a bridge in China. I, I, I walk on and I hear this song that I recognize. It's I don't recognize the words. Obviously, they're singing in Mandarin, because we're in China, but they're singing in Chinese, and I recognize the tune. That's, that's a hymn song. That's pretty crazy. And so our translator comes along, and we're able to start a conversation. And there is this group of ladies sitting on the bridge who are knitting and, and crafting and wanting to sell their crafts. In fact, they were very persuasive salespeople. But they were sold out to the Lord. There's about 10 or 15 of them, and they loved Jesus. And immediately, immediately, there was a bond, there was a connection. It was like, I'm in China of all places where there's less than probably, I don't know what the percentage is now, but it used to be that it was unreached, and there was less than like 1% of people in China that were Christians. And here I am standing on a bridge in the middle of nowhere, and these people are singing hymn songs. That's amazing, and there's an immediate bond, immediate connection because... We know one another as brothers and sisters because there's one church. But man, could you imagine being a member of that one church and all of us trying to get together? I mean, our commute would be forever long probably because I doubt they'd do it in Springfield. I doubt they'd have Sunday services in Springfield, Missouri. Our, our airport's just not big enough, you know? I mean, so it, it's not going to happen. And so the reality is, is that while this one church is the church, I mean, all, the, all the Christians from the Far East, the Middle East, the, the Near East, and the ones in the West, they all belong to this one body. There's no way that we can see that expressed in the world we live. Now, maybe when we get to heaven, maybe, maybe when everything is set right and the, and the world is new, you know, I don't know, maybe... Maybe every Sunday we'll, we'll be wherever we're at on the new earth and maybe we'll just stop and we'll face wherever Jesus is and we'll just sing together. I, I don't know how that's going to work. But I know right now in this broken world where our perspectives are so skewed, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. So there has to be, there, there is a reality that, that not only is the church universal in that it is one church overall, but it's also local. The church is also local. In fact, this is probably, probably the easiest expression of the church to demonstrate because here today you're sitting amongst a local church, a local gathering of saints, a local gathering of people who profess the name of Jesus Christ, who claim to be, who profess to be believers and trusting in Him, having been redeemed and bought by His blood. You're here today with a group of people who claim that and who believe it for their life. And not just on Sunday, but tomorrow it's going to matter and it's going to make a difference in what they do or don't do. It's going to make a difference in the, in, the, in the ways that they spend their time, in the ways that they spend their money, in the ways that they give in, in their efforts and their service. It's going to matter. 
you're sitting here with a local church. But boy, our experiences can go pretty crazy. And so I want to show you that from Scripture as well. Romans 16, 4 through 5. He says, to whom, speaking of Priscilla and Aquila, in fact, here's, here Paul's kind of given what he generally does. He's giving his list of greetings and he's closing out his letter. And he comes to this and he says, he's writing to Priscilla and Aquila or writing, asking people to greet Priscilla and Aquila. And he says, to whom, that refers to Priscilla and Aquila, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Here at churches of the Gentiles, so there's a number of churches. He's speaking in the plural sense. There's one church, but there's many expressions. He says, greet also the church in their house. And so there's all this number of churches out here of the Gentiles. And then in Priscilla and Aquila's house, there is a church. And so we recognize that Paul is saying, yes, there's one church. In fact, he's taught it. He's demonstrated it through other letters. But here he's using the term church in a different perspective in that. He's referring to local gatherings, local congregations. Revelation 1-4, John writes his letter to, he says it this way, he addresses it this way. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. In fact, the fact is, in most cases in Scripture, the word church, the word ecclesia that's translated church, is used to refer not to the universal church, but to refer to local congregations. In fact, do you know why we have the New Testament or or most of the New Testament today? Because leaders of the universal church were writing to local congregations to answer questions or or deal with sin or, well, (laughs) in a lot of cases it was because they were messing up and they were giving them instruction in the right way to go. That's because those local congregations existed. So this local perspective of the church is the whole reason we've done what we've done this summer. As this summer has gone by, I've, we, we've gone through a series of vision messages, eight weeks of that, and now we've been working through these distinctives or perspectives that we're going to hold that may make us distinct in the, in the realm of the church or may make us distinct from the world. But that's why, because the local church is important. See, it, it, it is this body, it's this body of believers that we're going to strive to establish leadership for. We're not trying to lead the church universal. In fact, I can't imagine leading the church universal. That's not what what any of us have been called to. We're called to lead a local congregation, a local body of believers. It's this local body that we strive to to establish membership for, to to understand and, and stand together and lock arms with one another, to recognize that together we own the mission and together we're partners in the mission and we're going to hold one another accountable to it and we're going to encourage one another and we're going to serve one another and we're going to strive to make this work. It's for this local body that we're doing that. It's for this local body that we must prioritize our service and our giving. See, we're we're moving. I guess I haven't said this a whole lot. I actually meant to tell you this to announce this morning, but I'll announce it now. At the end of this, at the end of the summer, at the end of August, we are going to, at the end of the service, as we have always done, we'll have a time to respond. And at the end of that, we're going to. This whole process is about formalizing our membership. And at the end of that, you're going to be asked or challenged or encouraged, however you want to perceive it, however it hits you, to affirm or reaffirm your covenant membership with His church. And so, for some of you that have talked to me recently, that 
that, hey, I'd like to become a member of the church, that's the time you need to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly do it then. I mean, we could do it other times, but ultimately, I want to finish this process. <clears throat> I think it's important that we finish this process. For those of you that have been covenant members for some time, I'm going to encourage you to reaffirm your covenant. And we're going to stand together as a church, and we're going to look one another in the eye, and we're going to take ownership of this mission God's given us to do, and we're going to partner together to see it done. And see, we're doing this because the importance and the emphasis set on the local church in the Scripture. Because the local church is, is where, where the boots hit the ground. It's where the, the work is getting done. But here's the thing. And this is why I wanted to get those two concepts in place. Because if we only ever consider the local church, the danger is, is that suddenly we isolate ourselves from the church at large and we think we've got the answers and no one else does. In fact, there's whole denominations that are built around this idea that they're believers and no one else is. I have friends that grew up in churches that they feel that, that the church at least gave the impression that no one could be saved in a church that wasn't theirs. In fact, there's a whole, whole big Roman Catholic church that will profess that it is the true church. And then recently, uh, in recent years, has written things that, that is um, calling Protestants to come back essentially to the true church. But the reality is, is that we are part of something much, much bigger, and we will always strive while we emphasize the local church, we will always strive to be a part and working alongside and with the bigger C church, the, the church universal. And when we first started, when we first began the church, it was about, uh, it was just about four and a half years ago, we, we started the first time we gathered. Um, and as I talked to people about what we were doing, I was, I was questioned, this, this question was presented to me over and over again. Why would you plant a church in Springfield, Missouri? And the follow-up question to that the reason they wanted to know why was how are you going to be different? What's going to set you apart from all the other churches? And man, I, when I first heard that question, I thought, I really got to, well, it wasn't just the first time. I heard that question over and over every time I talked to people. And this was before we even started. I have to come up with an answer to that question because everybody's asking it. So it must be an important question, right? I mean, Everybody wants to know. So I, I, I worked through and, and dealt with and began to think about how, we, how I answered that question. And then what happened was, as a result of striving to answer that question, I began to present the vision of the church and what we were striving to do as this church in a way that it met men and answered them. And so this is what it sounded like. Well, we're going to make our distinct, ourselves distinct from all the other churches because we're going to strive to worship God. Wait a minute. Does that mean all the other churches in Springfield are not striving to worship God? Man, that's pretty tough. Uh, we're, we're going to focus on community and building a relationship with one another. Does that mean that nobody else in Springfield, none of the other churches in Springfield want to build community? You see, what happened was it began to build this divide. And all of a sudden, we were setting ourselves apart from other churches. And man, pretty quickly, it, it didn't happen. It didn't take long. One day, I was giving that answer, and God just smacked me in the face. And he said, Seth, this is the church my son died for. 
Are you better than them? No. I'm not, and I recognized all of a sudden that I didn't have to please people with an answer. I'll tell you why we started the church, because God called me to start the church, and I'm trying to be obedient to Him. See, obedience is the reason I'm doing this. Obedience is probably the reason most of you are sitting in these chairs because you're striving to follow Him and be obedient. You see, that's what we're about. And we want to stand together with all the other good churches out there in Springfield, Missouri, and we want to lead people to worship the God who deserves it. We want to worship Him and lead others to worship Him. You see, don't hear me wrong. I know, I know, I know, I know that there are plenty of churches in Springfield, Missouri that need to close their doors because they're not really churches. But it's not my place to stand over them and command them to it. You see, God knows the invisible church. And Paul was just excited that people were proclaiming Jesus. He said, in fact, he said, you know, in fact, I thought about this this morning. I happened to be watching Jack Van Empey, one of my favorite, uh, well, not really. He's not somebody I would, I would encourage you to watch, but he has some things he was saying that I was just curious. Um, but as I was listening to him, I couldn't help but think, the things he's saying here, they're, they're true. And Jesus is gaining glory because of what he's saying. And so whether it's for false, selfish, prideful gain, or for whether, whether, whether the motives are pure, the fact that Jesus is proclaimed is worth celebrating. And so I don't have to stand in a place where I look at other churches and I judge them. I don't have to stand in a place, you don't have to stand in a place where, where Jesus is proclaimed and say, oh, you're, you're horrible, you're worthless. And, and don't get me wrong, there's heretics that need to be called heretics. There's wolves that need to be called wolves. But even if we don't like their methodology or we don't like their, their, uh, their theology, their doctrine, if, if they are proclaiming Christ, even if it's for the worst motives, at least Christ is being proclaimed. Now, we are part, as a local congregation, we are part of a visible and invisible church. And as a local congregation, we are part of a universal church, a church that extends well beyond the walls of the school. In fact, I am so thankful for that. Certainly, I, I, I can't wait and I long for the day that what this church is going to be it happens. When, when, when this church is planted another church and another church and another church and there's thousands of people who are giving their lives to, to, to setting aside programs and setting aside the ideas of what church is and the institution and they're just giving their lives to the worship of God and they are leading others to worship Him. When that happens, when those churches exist, I long for that day. But imagine if we were the only ones doing His work in Springfield, Missouri. In Missouri, or the United States. Yeah, our influence would be minuscule. Our opportunity and the, the, the work that we could get done. You know, there's a reason that when Christ started His church with those, those 120 people on Pentecost morning, there's a reason that He saved a bunch of people after that. And there's a reason then that he saved some more. And then there's a reason that some of his church had to suffer greatly. Stephen was martyred and those people were sent out. Imagine if it had just been those 12. 
that he started with, the 120 at the beginning of Acts. They wouldn't have gone very far, would they? You see, we're part of something much bigger. And he told Peter, Jesus looked at Peter, and, and as Peter confessed that he was the Son of God, he says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You see, because the church is much bigger than we are, and thank God it is. And so we will stand together with other churches. In fact, if you don't know, now you can know. I, this conviction has always been a part of who we are, and we're currently we're non-denominational, not affiliated with a denomination. If you watch what we do and you listen to our teaching and when you look at the way we do things, we're Baptistic in nature. In fact, I was told by one preacher that this, I said we're non-denominational. He said, oh, that just means you're Baptist and you just haven't affiliated. And that's probably true. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But we are Baptistic in nature. But we have networked because we recognize the need to be attached to other local congregations that are doing the work of God. We have attached ourselves to the Acts 29 network. And you can go and you can look up the Acts 29 network, and there's all kind of good things on the Internet about it, and there's all kind of bad things. I'd encourage you to read both. But I can tell you in my, in my connection with the Acts 29 network, we wouldn't be a part of it except that they are they're rock solid. They're about, it. they're about planting churches and seeing the gospel go forth. But let me give you two things about why we're networking, why the church networks. I'm going to give you two passages. And this kind of gives the foundation of why we'll do it beyond the fact that we belong um, or what we look to do as we network. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so here's this church, and it's actually a group of churches in Macedonia. And they're poor, they're broke, a lot like we are. And they're, they're, they're like, man, I just don't... I heard what's going on in, in Jerusalem, and we want to help. We want to make a difference. And so they take up a collection, and they give, according to Paul, beyond their means. That means in some way they gave much more than they really had to give. They sacrificed. They felt it. it you know, probably they had to give up coffee at Starbucks or didn't get to eat out after church one Sunday. Something happened, and they felt it. They sacrificed so that the needs of another church could be met. It's beautiful. In Philippians 4, 1 through 5, or I'm sorry, 4, 15, Paul says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Philippians, is the church at Philippi was one of those churches in Macedonia. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so we see the church meeting needs outside of its own congregation as it meets the needs of brothers and sisters in another congregation. And we see the church making sure that the mission of God is funded, that it can be done in a world that it costs money to do things. Here's the reality. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean we get to go out there and do things for free. If that was the case, this building we're looking at, they just give it to us. It's not happening. 
We're going to have to pay for it if we want it. I can't call up a hotel and say, hey, I'm going to come and do some evangelization in your town. Would you let me stay there for free? Nobody's going to do that. Maybe a Christian hotel owner. But who are you? Some white job. I don't know who you are. I'm not letting you stay in my hotel. There's no telling what would happen. It doesn't work that way. It costs money. And so, so these Philippians recognized that Paul needed to be taken care of. They wanted to take care of him. They had a desire put in them to take care of him. But Paul was a tent maker. He went around making tents. Yeah, but think about it. If he wasn't making tents, he could be doing gospel work. So let's, let's fund him. Let's give him money. Let's give him gifts. Let's make sure that he's taken care of so that he can go and preach and proclaim the gospel. And that's what they did. See, we will network with other local churches to provide and receive support. It's a two-way street. As we network with churches, in fact, here's part of our commitment as an Acts 29 church. We, I don't talk about this a lot. You need to know it. If you're a member of our church, you need to know this. If you're visiting, uh, this, this might be good for you to know as well. It might entice you to, to let you know we're not just about ourselves. We give 10% of our internal funds, which is 99.9% of what we receive, our internal giving, 10% of it goes to planting churches already. We're already involved. And so when we see a need, in fact, we've given money to Joplin. We've uh, uh, given, sent, sent money to uh, San Francisco. We send money to the network at large. We get to choose. We get to be a part of it. We, we don't have to send money to uh, the network and say, well, you guys use it however you want. We get to look at the individual churches, and we get to choose what churches we give into or what we don't. As our finances have stabilized, we've begun, I've begun looking for churches that we could support regularly. There's a church plant that's going on on the north side of town. Greg Gomer's his name. He's a church planner. He's planting a church called Redeemer Church, and he's not, he's not with the Acts 29 network, but he's in a place where he's working full-time trying to plant the church. And you know who knows all about that? Me. I know how hard that is. Wouldn't it be great if our finances were stabilized in such a way that we could that we could ensure that we could pay him some money? It wouldn't be a whole lot. We don't have a whole lot. But what if we could? And we give part of it to the network. The network uses that that money for the, the pastor's retreat that I went on last three weeks ago. When, whenever it was, three weeks ago, I went to the pastor's retreat. And, and there they equip and prepare and help your pastors so that they can be prepared for the work of ministry, so that I can come here and I can be prepared and equipped for what I'm doing here. In addition, they pay for everything but the travel out there. So they put you up in, I mean, it was on the beach. It's pretty rough. I, I was kind of shocked that it was where it was because it wasn't nearly as nice as I expected. I mean, I, I had a king-size bed and yeah, air conditioning and, and water, and, oh, man, the food was amazing. And no, I mean, seriously, it was, it was great. It was, it was wonderful. And it gives us a time to network and build connection with other people, which has been extremely important because I didn't know we were going to be doing this while I was out there, but it's been extremely important as I've begun to do fundraising and striving, striving to raise money, raise money for our building fund because now I have faces that I have names with and I can call them up and give them, hey, give us some money. So we're going to provide and we're going to receive support just like they did in, in Macedonia for the church in Jerusalem. And we're going to network with other local churches to further God's mission in the world. Here's the reality. I, we're not a Southern Baptist church, but you know what we're doing in, in Africa is with the Southern Baptist church. 
And we're partnering with them. We're working right alongside them in the same village, doing the same work, striving to, striving to partner with them in mission. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing because the kingdom of God is demonstrated. His, his church, His universal church is, is being demonstrated. And that just, that just shows the bigness and beauty and power of God. And so we're going to network with churches to do that. Well, why, does this, why does this matter? Why do I need you to know that this is a distinctive? Why is it important? Because ultimately, I don't want to lead a church that thinks that they're standing out here on their own by themselves and no one else is out there doing this. There's a prophet that did that. He ran off into the mountains and he's like, oh, I'm all alone. God has forgotten me. The only one doing the work and God shows up and he says, I have a people of my own. You see, we need to remember the work sometimes is tough. The work sometimes is lonely. The work sometimes is difficult. And maybe we've not seen all of the big things happen that we long to see. But make no mistake, God is at work. He's at work here in this church. He's at work in our city and in our state and our nation among people's lives, changing them, growing them, and maturing them for His great glory. But we are a local church that's part of a universal church. We're a visible church that's part of the invisible church, and praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, You are gracious. You're merciful. You are amazing. Your love is powerful. Your kingdom is unshakable. There is nothing that can undo your work, God. And we know that and we praise you for that. Well, Father, I, I pray now, God, that you would just be with us and, and help us recognize our place in the midst of things. Father, I, I just pray that you will continue to do your work among our people. The stories we've heard as testimonies have been given of, of your great work, God, we, we are grateful for them. I pray, Father, that you will just continue to do that work among us. I pray, God, that you will expand our influence, that we might touch more lives for your glory. God, that, that the people that are, that are members of this congregation, the people that belong to this church and, and call this home, God, that you would raise them up and, and give them boldness with your message that we might proclaim it in this world, that you might be praised and glorified. Father, I, I pray that, that you would grow us, that we might continue to reach further and further into darkness. And Father, give us good, strong relationships with other local bodies, that we might stand united in this battle, in this war that we've been given to fight. God, help us. Father, I pray that if there's a person in the room today or people in the room today that that aren't yet members of your church, your invisible church, that have come to recognize that they want to be, that they long to belong to you, that they long to be your child, God. Would you help them see that you've already begun to work and now you're calling them to believe, to trust in your son, to be, to be one of those that's, that's bought by his blood. God, I would pray that you would help them to see it and bring them into life today. Father, we are grateful and thankful. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.